of Law Radio. We're coming to you again from the Australasian Law Teachers Association conference held at Victoria University in Wellington. And in today's episode, we're listening to Melissa Deswart from Adelaide University. Melissa is presenting on the topic of a MOOC, a massive open online course that she and a team have developed through Adelaide University. Let's listen now to Melissa Deswart. Two years ago, we were asked to prepare a MOOC. So Adelaide decided that it was going to go into the world of MOOCs. It formed a partnership with edX, which is the MIT, Harvard spin-off company, which does MOOCs, which are massive open online courses. A decision was made that we would, uh, at that time, roll out one from each of our faculties and I was approached and asked uh, if the law school might have any topics which would be um, useful for a massive open online course that would be of global interest. And of course, as we know with law, there are challenges to that because of jurisdictional issues, etc. So I very diligently said, yes, you know, that we could really do one on uh, international law. We've got a lot of expertise in uh, health law and bioethics. I uh, came up with a whole range of other things, and they said, oh, can you do one on internet law? <laughs> and I said, well, that sounds really boring. So uh, I got together with a couple of my colleagues, um, Dale Stevens and Rebecca LaForgia, who are international law experts, and we decided we would do one called Cyber War, Surveillance and Security. And we were very, very fortunate because we had a, a learning designer called Sean McCarthy, who I credit for everything that was successful about the MOOC, um, who really had to hold our hands through the entire process because we had absolutely no idea how to do a MOOC, none whatsoever. And we had to start from scratch. Um, so he helped us every step of the way and continues to counsel us, help us, everything that we do. We knew from very early on that what we wanted to do was to take advantage of our sort of people that we knew, experts that we knew, and we wanted to make videos. And so we undertook this insane trip to America, North America, in (coughs) February 2015 when the worst snowstorm that they'd had in 15 years had happened. And so we toured around Canada and America interviewing people who knew stuff about cyber war and surveillance and security. We interviewed people like Edward Snowden's lawyer, we interviewed Mike Schmidt who did the Tallinn Manual, we interviewed Gabriella Coleman who knows everything there is to know about Anonymous. Uh, and people, we, we kind of had to to find our way as we went along uh, because people were also very um, sceptical or suspicious, for example, about why we would be... It, what we would be doing with the videos and, and you know, in particular um, Ben Wisner, Edward Snowden's lawyer, was very concerned about whether we might be sort of monetising that and excluding people from education. And, and, and so it was a really interesting learning journey for us about what a MOOC actually was and, and why we were doing it. We were also told, you know, it, it can't be a full course, so don't look at it like it's a, a, you know, a 12, 13 week undergraduate course, it's also not equivalent of a master's course. 
it had to be something like six weeks worth of content, whatever that means. And we, we knew that there were going to be a lot of people watching it, but again, we didn't have any background. We didn't know who the students were going to be. Were they going to be people who had a law background? There's no prerequisites. So we found that, you know, we had a huge... We were watching the enrolments and where they were coming from, and it got listed by Interpol as one of the approved courses that you could do over, over the summer. And, uh, we had a huge number of people from the hacker community who enrolled in it, and, you know, we had a whole lot of people from the American government who were really, really interested in it as well. The first time we offered it was a six-week week-by-week release and, and the students, we found a lot of students wanted to actually to, for it all to be released all at once but we weren't really ready to do that because we were taking our, you know, the lessons that we learned from face-to-face -face teaching or blended learning and trying to roll that out into an unknown number of students. So the second time we ran it, we ran it as an asynchronous offering. People could, we opened it in January, I think it's going to close this week. And people could do it as fast or as slow as they wanted to. Uh, and, we've, and the enrolments just keep going up and up. We've had over 32,000 people. Now, for MOOCs, that's not huge. But for law teachers, it's large. Um, and we were also very genuine in our desire that they would engage with it. Like, you know, the whole underpinning philosophy was that we had to provoke people. We really took, or I took personally, can't speak for my co-presenters, but I took Edward Snowden's sort of motivation, which was, why did he release the information that he released? He didn't mind if people agreed with what the American government were doing or disagreed with it, but he felt that people needed to know. And so he wanted to start a global conversation about the content of the documents that he released, i.e. the mass surveillance of American and non-American citizens by the Five Eyes. And I felt that the purpose of the MOOC was to facilitate that conversation. And again, there was for and against. Um, certainly the views that were presented by the different people that we interviewed were very different. The views presented by the three staff members were very different. But it really was about personal engagement with how do people feel about surveillance now that they know, now we're stuck with the knowledge that it occurs. So the, the learning materials had to reflect this. So we had our videos with experts. We had our own short videos that we presented. We were told very early on that MOOCs didn't involve reading. So we couldn't prescribe readings. So this was a very difficult thing for us. So we had readings, but they, we couldn't make them compulsory. So there was lots of linked reading material that we weren't really meant to have. We had a discussion board, and this was a major success. So again, this was taken from our own experiences with, you know, face-to-face -face in tutorials, in lectures, in discussion boards with our classes, graduate, undergraduate. Um, particularly in my case, my use with social media, and that I brought that in as well. And we also had a wiki activity. So we had a wiki activity for at any one time, you know, more than 10,000 students, and it actually worked. Occasionally, someone would delete the whole thing by accident, but that happened in undergraduate teaching as well. And we were contacted by edX and said, "Wow, your discussion board actually works. There are people discussing on your discussion board. Why?" <laughs> 
So again, we kind of had to unpack that because it was like we just expected these things to happen because of our own expectations about how students behave. And running alongside it, I set up a Facebook page which has sort of proven to be a bit of a, a, a burden as well because even after people have completed the course, they come back and they, they want me to keep updating it with links to things that are going on. So the Facebook page has remained very vibrant even when the course is, is dormant from time to time. So the learning cycle for us, and this is what I sort of wanted to focus on today, is what have we learned from the MOOC? So we took our in-class face-to-face experiences and we put them into the MOOC. And now, of course, we're moving to things like small private online courses. That's where perhaps the university wants to go. What can we take from it in online and blended learning? And how do we take things from the MOOC and put them back into in-class and face-to-face -face experiences? So how do all of these things... Because we just really perceive them as part of a whole, an overall whole. It's not like, you know, you really do things... Well, I think this was our naivety. We didn't think you really do things differently with MOOCs. And I think maybe we've kind of subverted it and proved that you don't. You just take what you know. So as I said, we, we very much focused on um, these uh, videos. And so this just gives you uh, a bit of the look and feel of how, how the MOOC works. So this is week two, which is about hacking and leaking. And you have the topics down the side. You had a, a video section where I would introduce what perhaps the experts were going to be talking about. And it was a requirement of edX that you have accessibility so every video has a script that goes along with it as well. So in this one um, we trekked to McGill in Canada where I nearly died apparently because I took off my glove and then nearly passed out because uh, I tried to stupidly tried to take a photo and uh, became delirious. Then we went in to interview Gabriella Coleman who I think is totally and utterly amazing academic and of course because I'd just been delirious five minutes before and then I had to interview her, I had to make sense of the questions. But she was great, she did this straight to camera thing and was able to talk about you know, the political uh, role of Anonymous. And so students would watch these videos and then we would have things like discussion questions and maybe a wiki contribution. Along the top there you can see there was video, 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 then perhaps a discussion activity. The videos themselves then become standalone resources um, I use them in my face-to-face -face teaching. Um, I know that they are also used. One of the weeks has been used by the arts faculty in their foundation course. So that particular teaching week apparently falls on a public <coughs> holiday. So they just took our module about um, WikiLeaks and Snowden and that is their module for that week for the first years. So it's great that that is considered to be accessible to non-law students. So hopefully that kind of worked. It can be used for additional reading. All the videos are publicly available on YouTube, so anyone can use them for anything that they want to use them for. Um, so they become resources in their own right. You can use them as discussion points in class. I've done that too. But what I just wanted to briefly mention was how it's really inspired me to think about how I can use video as part of co-created learning with students. So building on our own sort of experience of making the videos for the MOOC, which is really, really easy as it turns out. You can get um, a teleprompter app for your phone. You can put that just in front of your iPad and you can easily create a really simple script and speak straight to the iPad, which gives people the sense that you're engaging with them directly. It's not a video of a lecture where you know, you're looking anywhere other than at the person that you're speaking to. 
And when our students had to um, be engaged in an overseas uh, project with um, two uh, North American universities, and we simply couldn't afford to fly them over to North America to get the feedback on the project that, that uh, they had done. And everyone's saying, oh, Skype them in. And I was saying, you want me to get five undergraduate students who are in their final year who are doing DRE and who are stressed out of their minds to get up at 2am to try and Skype into Canada when we know that the Skype connection won't work and it'll just stress the living daylights out of them. Why don't we make videos of them? So they had to take uh, the same sort of techniques that we had in the MOOC, distill their contributions down to say five to eight minute videos which we could produce to the, to the expert group and they did it beautifully. So they got their material, they got the uh, essence of it, they made a decision themselves about whether they presented individually or in pairs. Uh, unfortunately, one of the students was sick on the only day that we could do the filming because of their commitments and of ours. And um, Joel, the student there uh, on the far left-hand side, picked up the script that had been written by the sick student and did it straight to camera like that. So, you know, students, our undergraduate students are better than us at nearly everything and this project proved it. We showed these um, videos to a group of experts who were, uh, it was a space law project, science, um, ethics, government, policy, etc. And they were blown away by the quality of these videos. So what I now want to do is actually explore the possibility of using, not using the student videos so much as... Um, assessment, but actually using them as part of the teaching. So using the student voice to talk to the students about cutting edge things that they are experts in more than I am because they've had the opportunity to, um, to actually explore the issues themselves. So MOOCs, you know, have been a great learning experience and I really just wanted to flag that, you know, the expertise that we gained from that has been useful now for um, going to the next stage, which I think will be this sort of student co-creation model. That was Professor Melissa Deswart from Adelaide Law School explaining the MOOC unit she was involved in designing and teaching. The website for the project is at edX. Just look for Cyberwar Surveillance and Security on www.edx.org. Thanks for joining us today and remember you can join us on Law Radio on iTunes and SoundCloud and on our blog at lawradio.net. If you enjoy our podcast, please do leave a review on iTunes so other people can find us more easily. This is Melissa Caston. See you next time.